The Samaritan woman's story is one that we are all likely very familiar with, but my encouragement for you is to always read scripture with a clean slate and allow the scripture to tell you what it says instead of going in with a preconceived idea of what it says. The word of God is living and active, which means that the hundredth time you read something, God can reveal something new, a new aspect of his character and his nature. That's how we should always be approaching the text. friends, welcome to the Hearing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Grohl, missionary, author, pastor, and life coach. I know sometimes you doubt if you are truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own. I know that you are praying for a way to know the difference and to be confident in your relationship with God and what He says in His Word. If you are ready to grow in your faith and your identity in Christ and to confidently step into the calling God has for you, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, before we get into today's episode, I have a quick word. I know you've been frustrated with being confident in how to tell the difference between hearing from God and wondering if it's your own voice. Listen, I know, I've been there myself. That's why I wrote the Bible study, She Hears, Learning to Listen to Jesus. This is a six-week study that takes you through the book of John, looking at six women in the life of Jesus. It also teaches the color method of Bible study, which helps you to learn how to really understand the scriptures. I include lots of cultural and historical information, and it really makes these familiar passages of scripture just come alive. This is a great study to do on your own, to do with some girlfriends or even some teenage girls, and it will help you really gain the confidence in how to hear from the Lord and set you up with some tools that will stay with you long after the study is over. You can find that on my resources page at shehears.org. And for a limited time, I'm offering all of my podcast listeners a special discount of 20% off. You can use the discount code hearing Jesus, that's one word, all caps, to get your discount. There are also some free videos and a leader's guide for you to get started. Again, head to shehears.org and you can find the Bible study on the resources page. Hey friends, you made it through week two. I'm so excited for what God is doing in and through you this week and throughout this study. Um, I have heard from some of you and It is so humbling to realize that this is a healing journey, not just that God took me on, but he's taking some of you on. So I want you to know that I'm I'm praying for you this week. This week, uh, we just finished up studying the woman at the well. And I'm going to talk a little bit about her today, but I want to go ahead and read her story. And I want to just say that this is actually the chapter that really birthed the this book she hears it was the woman that I started with because I actually preached on her at our church and I had studied her in seminary and really just identified with some of the brokenness that she carries and so this was the chapter that made me think that perhaps I need to write a book about this so this is a chapter that's near and dear to my heart they all are of course for different reasons but John chapter 4 is one of my favorite things to teach women about, um, and men that will listen. So I'm going to go ahead and read our passage of scripture that we studied this week. So John chapter 4, I'm reading from the New American Standard Version. 
So then, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, rather his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again to Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. Now, that's an important verse that you hopefully studied this week and you hopefully understand. Um, there's, I think there's two days we spend on it, the impact of that statement. And so even as we're reading that right now, every time I read those words, he had to pass through Samaria. That just speaks so much to my heart. If you don't know why, go back and read. I think it's day two and day three. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of land that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, tired from his journey, was just sitting by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. So the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, though you were a Jew, are asking me for a drink, though I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Let me stop right there for a second. My husband and I just got back from Brooklyn last week. Um, we work with a ministry in Brooklyn. I worked with them for quite some time, probably 10 years. And if you know anything about Brooklyn, uh, there is a lot of Jewish ownership of buildings and stores and those kinds of things. And um, I've had some limited experience with Jewish people in, in Pennsylvania, but not like I experienced in New York City. And um, the, the Hasidic Jews are the very traditional ones that have like the curls on the side of their hair and wear the hats and all of that. And we were in an area, not this trip, but in a previous trip, we were in an area of Brooklyn where there was uh, Jewish ownership of a, uh, it's like a corner store. I can't remember if it was a deli or a bodega. It doesn't seem like a Jewish person would own a deli, but it's New York City. I can't remember. But regardless, I was buying soda. And so I went to hand the money to him and he refused to take it for me. He just let me put it on the, the counter and then he would take the, the money from the counter because the, the Jewish rule was that, uh, you know, he couldn't risk touching me. Um, that just seems so odd to me, but I, I picture that every time I read this in the scripture, cause it's talking about, um, some of the rules that were so, uh, confining for them in that time frame. So, um, so when it says Jews do not associate with Samaritans, I, I I felt like a Samaritan when I was in Brooklyn because I felt like I'm I'm nice, I won't hurt you, but you know, it's just the rules. So picking up verse 10, Jesus replied to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Um, one of my uh, associate pastors said, says when he reads this he says he can just see like the 12 year 12 year old angst type attitude like you don't have any bu bucket and, a, and water you know like my I think of how my 12 year old acts sometimes like you don't got a bucket like I just see this attitude coming out of her um in the way that she's responding to him um sir you have no bucket and the well is deep where did you get this living water you are not greater than our father Jacob are you who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never be thirsty. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. 
The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw water. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said to him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This which you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and yet you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one must worship. Jesus said to her, Believe me, woman, that a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. But a time is coming, even now, has arrived when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one speaking to you. And at this point, his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with that woman. Yet no one said, what are you seeking or why are you speaking with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the people, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is he? They left the city where he was, where he and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, "Rabbi, eat something." But he said to them, "I have food to eat that you do not know about." So the disciples were saying to one another, "No one brought him anything to eat, did he?" Jesus said to them, "My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest." Behold, I tell you, raise your eyes and observe the fields, and they are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the one who sows and the one who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have come into their labor. Now from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. I love that part because of the word of the woman who testified because remember in this culture the testimony of a woman was not valid in their court system so it was be these people believe because of the testimony of the woman who testified he told me all the things that I have done so when the Samaritans came to Jesus they were asking him to stay with him and he stayed there two days many more believed because of his word and they were saying to this woman it is no longer because of what you said that we believe for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one truly is the savior of the world oh I just love that whole passage of scripture I know it's long thanks for being patient with me I don't know about you, but one of the things that I struggle with as, as a woman, as a female, is um, just the comparison, the comparison in everything. And for a long time, I, I lived in this place where as long as I could see somebody else that had it worse off than me, then I would feel good about myself. So whether that was my house was nicer than their house was, my kids were better behaved than they were. They weighed more than I did. They cussed more than I did. Their sin was more than my sin appeared to be. I just put myself in this place where at least I'm not as bad as that person. And that is so dangerous. It's so dangerous to think that way because all of us are guilty. Um, it, and it's even one sin that separates us from God. And so regardless of our amount of guilt, we're still guilty. But if I'm honest, that's where I lived for a long time. And I think 
there is this sense that um, we do that as women with each other and even as Christian women. And so the very beginning of this week was really kind of looking at that mentality and examining that before the Lord, that attitude, that heart space and saying, okay, why, why am I in that place? Why am I allowing myself to feel that way? Why am I not looking to Christ to define me instead of um, this baseline of other people's sin? So I, I think there's a comfort there. And so I just want to encourage you in some of these conversations that we're having with the Lord, um, it can be difficult. It can be hard. And there are going to be things that rise to the surface that we don't want to face. But if we don't face them, we're not going to be free from them. So that is my, my reason why I'm having all of those in there. I love the fact that this is the longest recorded conversation in scripture we have between Jesus and another person. Did you realize that? It's the longest recorded conversation we have. Number one, that doesn't surprise me because um, I'm, a, I'm a woman and I'm a talker. And um, if Jesus was here, I'd be talking to him. But the fact that it is marked in scripture as the longest recorded conversation we have, I think is significant. Um, to me, it's evidence that Jesus speaks to women. And then also, um, I think it's very significant of the posture that this woman has in society. She was in a place where she was um, not accepted by the rest of the society, the rest of the culture around her. And Jesus was in a place he, he culturally wasn't supposed to be, and he met her where she was at. And I think about those times in my own life as a woman. Um, you know, at a period of time in my life, I was a single mom. I had been divorced. And regardless of the reasons for that divorce, that, like I mentioned in the book, I wore that like a stain everywhere I went. Um, because I didn't have a ring on my finger, but I had a baby on my hip. And I remember going to a small group one time. And it was actually, we were part of a large church. And um, it, it was actually held at the, one of the pastor's houses. And I thought, well, okay, this will be a safe place for me to go. And so I drove out there with uh, my, my baby on one hip and my holding my, you know, toddler's hand. And, um, of course, I had worked all day and tried to hurry up and get the kids something to eat. And they ate on the way. And we, we get all the way out there. It was about, I don't know, 40 minutes away from where I lived. And... Um, we pulled in the driveway. We were one of the first to arrive because I didn't really know exactly how long it was going to take me to get there. And as soon as I arrived, I just saw the look on the pastor's face, that whole like, oh no, she's here. And um, I, didn't, I didn't realize it at first, but here what it was, was this was a small group that was designed for married couples. It did not indicate that anywhere when you signed up for the small groups, but that's what it was. And so they were doing a marriage study. And so um, I show up with my two kids unmarried um, at this point and was very uncomfortable initially just because of the content. I think no matter the, what the circumstances, I would have been uncomfortable. But as we start to gather with a small group, um, I very clearly saw that all of the wives gathered on one side of the room opposite of where I was and all the men gathered on the other side of the room. And anytime I tried to go sit down somewhere, they would move. Um, it felt so hurtful. And as they started to just discuss the material, they completely skipped over me when it was my turn to share as we're going through. It was one of the most unwelcoming environments I've ever been in. And 
I just thought, you know what? I don't belong here. I'm going to go. And so I went to leave and I packed my kids up. They all watched me. Not one person said a word. I packed my kids up. I went to go put them in the car and I found that there was three other cars parked behind me. I couldn't get out. And I sat in my car and I just cried because I thought, now I got to go back in there and I got to ask these people to leave. And so I went back in and I said, I'm really sorry, um, but there's three cars parked behind me and I can't get out. And they just stared at me. Nobody said one word. Nobody, nobody said, why are you leaving? Or please don't go or please stay. It, they wanted me to go. And so they, without one word, got up, moved their vehicles, let me out. That was it. And I went to church that following week and met the eyes of that pastor in the hall and he just looked at me and then he looked away and that was that and I, I wasn't in ministry at that point this is years before I was in ministry and I just remember thinking like you don't even know the circumstances around my divorce you don't even know and if you did you wouldn't be treating me this way or at least I would hope you wouldn't be treating me this way but it doesn't matter it was a stain that I was wearing there was another time I was volunteering because obviously I ended up going to a different church because I just felt so condemned at that place. Um, there was another church that I went to that a friend of mine belonged to and we were uh, serving and just started to get involved and um, I went to go work with the youth group and I had, uh, you know, my undergrad was in youth ministry so I had started working with the youth group and one of the leaders pulled me aside and she said, you, um, have you repented? And I said, what do you mean? She said, have you repented of your divorce? You can't work with the youth unless you repent of the divorce. And I said, well, I didn't, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Christian that doesn't believe in divorce. I still don't believe in divorce. Um, and I didn't get divorced because I wanted to get divorced. I had, I had to get divorced. It was somebody else made that decision for me. And she said, well, it doesn't matter. You need to repent or you can't be here. Didn't know anything. Actually, she did know something about my circumstances. But even if she didn't, um, there's a way to treat people that are broken and hurting. And that's just not it. And so, although I have only been divorced once, um, I know what it feels like to have the circumstances dictate how the culture sees me. And I think about that when I think about this woman who went in the middle of the day when nobody else was there to gather her water. I, I've been her. I have avoided people because of the hurt that it caused me to interact with them. Jesus meets us where we are. Even if it's a place where we don't expect him to be, where he shouldn't be. He meets us where we are. I'm so thankful for that. And, and often the very thing that separates us from everybody else is the thing that drives us to Jesus. I hope you picked up on that this week. But there's one aspect that I think is really important that I want to just touch base on. When she comes and she meets him, he asks her to put down what she's holding. In the sense that she's there to draw water and he wants to offer her a different kind of water. And I think what happens is when we come to Christ, 
you know, there is this sense, and please don't send me an email. Um, salvation is free, absolutely. But there is a cost to salvation. There's a cost to Christ, obviously, because it, um, he, he sacrificed his life. But there's a cost to what we are called to lay down and what we are called to give up. Salvation is free. But in that process, we are called to lay down our brokenness and to lay down our sorrow and to lay down our fear and to lay down our sin. And those things often become the very things that are part of our identity and we hold on to them. Um, for so long, I was divorced single mom and I didn't know how to let go of that. Um, even after I got remarried, I still felt that stain um, that followed me around because in Christian circles, well, divorce and remarriage isn't blessed. I, I'm not saying that. That's what Christian circles say. Um, so there was this idea that no matter what I did, I couldn't just shake this stain that I carried with me. And in the book, I talk about a literal stain. Um, it, it, that was just the parallel. It, there was just a literal stain I felt like I had. And that's what Jesus was asking me to give him. And I just couldn't. I mean, I would go to church and I would pray and I would do my Bible study and say, okay, Lord, take this thing away from me. Um, and maybe for you, it's not a stain of circumstances. Maybe it's a particular sin, something that you have really struggled with and you've asked God to get rid of. Um, or maybe it is a sorrow or something that you're grieving that you just can't lay down. Um, you've tried and you can't do it. I think there's a really important piece to this week that I want to make sure that you grasp. That name Messiah. In the original text, it doesn't just mean anointed to deliver, but it means to snatch away. The name Messiah means to snatch away. So the deliverer. It's not just Jesus coming and making a way where there seems to be a way. He's coming to snatch away the thing that you can't lay down. The sin you can't lay down. The sorrow you can't lay down. The stain you can't lay down. The stain of brokenness. He's He comes to snatch that away. And it's not a one-time thing. I wish it was. I wish we could just make the decision to, to hand something over to Jesus or to allow him to snatch away from us and then it's done. It's not. It's a process. That's why he talks about living water that bubbles up inside of us, that we renew and refresh as we know him and experience him and love him and speak with him. That living water is what cleans us. That's what allows us to walk with our heads held high instead of face to the ground. At the very end of the passage, we see the disciples come back. They had been gone all day. And I think it's so interesting to note that the disciples had been gone all day. They had been down in town getting food, you know, whatever they were doing, interacting with people. Obviously, if they brought food back, they interacted with some people. And when they came, came back, they came back alone. When the woman, the Samaritan woman, went down to tell people about Jesus, she drove people back to Jesus. It was her testimony that drove people to Jesus. The disciples had been in town all day. It wasn't them. God used her and her brokenness and her sorrow and her mess to drive people to him. See, we each have our own message that no one else can share. And in the context of our own community, our own circle of influence, 
It's our message, our testimony of how Christ transforms us that's going to drive other people to him. I want you to realize that this week, that the very things that drove you to Jesus in the first place, or the very things that, that you can't lay down, the very things that um, you feel trapped with or you feel enslaved to, those are the very things that God can use to drive others in your life to him. And so this week, as we're starting a next chapter, don't let go of last week. I think what I want for you is to realize that these narratives throughout scripture build on each other and they paint a picture of who Jesus is. And as we read through the lens of who Jesus is, I want you to see yourself through the lens of how Jesus sees you. That's my prayer for you this week. So as you're going throughout your week, I'm praying that over you. I'm praying for you. I'm praying through this study, through the words of these scriptures, that they would be driven deep into your heart in a way that you don't forget them, that they become living water. Thank you for going on this journey with me. If you need prayer or you have questions, please do not hesitate to email me. It's rachel at shehears.org. I'm praying for you, friend. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you for God's call in your life, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you this week. Know that you are loved, you are cherished, and you are His.